When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. Come on, just stay, Ryan said. It was day 12 of an incredible vacation through the Southwest. I had solo backpacked the Grand Canyon's rugged Escalante route, played frisbee golf in Phoenix with long-lost family, and supported my new boyfriend Jonathan and his friend Ryan on runs across Zion National Park. It felt like life had presented me with a series of small gifts, including a pair of javelinas on the rim of the Grand Canyon, easy laughter over beers and barbecue, late-night puffy jacket hugs, and blazing yellow cottonwood leaves. I was happy and present, my most confident, best self. As we cooked chicken curry in Zion's Watchman campground and watched another incredible sunset play out against the Crimson Cliffs, the conversation turned to the next day's events. I planned to make the 12-hour drive back to California for Thanksgiving with family. Ryan tried to convince me to stay longer, to explore new canyons, slackline below soaring sandstone, and drink craft brew by the campfire. Thanksgiving had always been a tough holiday for me. It meant days of pre-cleaning, followed by a day of wearing scratchy sweaters and enduring endless hours of adultness. Hemmed in by tradition, social convention, and trying hard to be nice, we endured Thanksgivings with extended networks of acquaintances that none of us particularly enjoyed spending time with. My mom, the consummate hostess, went out of her way to make special table decorations, concoct elaborate hors d'oeuvres, and serve mimosas and fine wine all evening long. As a result, she always wound up stressed and exhausted long before the lingering guests would go home. Even as an adult, with the benefit of social lubrication, I found little joy on the holiday. The gatherings brought similar feelings of discomfort and uninteresting small talk, with the addition of working harder and a greater awareness of my mom's frazzled fatigue. Every year, friends would invite me to their Thanksgiving adventures in Joshua Tree or Indian Creek or the Lost Coast, and I would politely decline knowing my mom would be disappointed and adrift without my help and moral support. So when Ryan tried doggedly to convince me to stay in Zion, I wanted to say yes, but there was more to the story.
On the 4th of July earlier that year, as us siblings teased each other and watched my tiny nephews crawl around the yard, my mom quietly slipped away. In our cacophony, it took time before we realized she had disappeared. My dad investigated, then came back and said that she felt ill and had gone to lay down. My internal alarm bells went off. She placed such emphasis on hosting and bringing the family together. Disappearing mid-gathering was a sign of dark things amiss. I poked my head into her room, and she looked uncomfortable and frail, curled under the covers. It hurt my soul to see her like that. She had been seriously sick on and off for several years, but I had never had to face it in person. The months that followed that 4th of July played out like most others in my life. I put my all into my work, my adventures, and my community of friends, leaving time for just a few phone calls to catch up with those geographically farther away. Summer turned to fall, and I came home to visit in October. My father admitted that my mother now seldom left the couch, wouldn't eat much, and held her hands in her lap to hide their shaking. She put on a happy face, though. She asked to see pictures of my recent adventures, bantered with her ever-clever wit, and chatted about current events. She talked about upcoming medical tests as a boring burden rather than anything to have anxiety about. I went back to my life in the mountains while my retired father assumed the role of my mother's full-time caretaker. He shopped for all the groceries, cooked all the meals, cleaned the house, and supported her to walk around as necessary. He knew it was getting bad, but he didn't want to worry me or my brothers, so he said nothing. I did worry, but with nothing constructive to do about it, I let myself ignore it during my day-to-day life. That's where things stood when I went to Utah that November. I wanted to be there for my mom, but I felt helpless. So I cloaked myself in adventure to distract myself. Ryan tried again to convince me to stay instead of driving home the next morning. We've got the sweet campsite, the weather is perfect, and there's so much more to explore. Your family gathering won't be half as much fun. I admitted that I wanted to stay and gave an impish smile to indicate that I didn't really have control of my choice. Well, if you want to stay so much, just stay. Your family can go one year without you, he persisted. I finally blurted out, I have to go home because this might be the last Thanksgiving I ever have with my mom. A long silence followed. My words surprised me, too. I hadn't thought of it in those terms yet. Hadn't let myself realize that my mother was actually really dying and had been for quite some time. I had fooled myself with her lucidity and strong presence, but the signs were there all along. We never got a definitive prognosis from a doctor about how long she might have to live, but in that moment, as the words tumbled from my mouth, I knew they were true. After a bit, Ryan said, Wow, that's intense. We didn't talk about it anymore, and I drove home for Thanksgiving the next day. The following July, my mother passed away. I was lucky enough to have just returned from a six-day trip in Sequoia National Park's backcountry, and I got to hold her hand as she passed. I think of her every day, and I miss her terribly. One small silver lining transpired in the aftermath of her death. My father and I became much closer. 
The two of us took on cremation arrangements, will execution, credit card cancellation, clothing donation, and the million other logistics of an expired life. My dad is a man of very few words, but without my mom and I prattling on, we have talked, really talked, for once. We understand each other anew, and I love spending time with him more than ever before. Time has passed, and though one never really heals from the loss of a parent, the pain feels less raw these days. A friend of mine recently moved away and proposed we reunite in Zion for a long weekend of running and adventuring over Thanksgiving. This time, I had no tortured feelings of what I might encounter at home for Thanksgiving, although I knew that mashing potatoes and pouring drinks might be more mundane than climbing sandstone cliffs and running desert washes. I finally understood that I would never regret time spent with family. What had previously felt like obligation had come to feel like a privilege. I had no doubt in my mind as I turned to my friend, smiled broadly, and said, Sorry, I've got plans with my dad. I'm Katie Wallace, and this is my short. The Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia one of the first voices in the fight to protect Bears Ears. Please visit ducttapethandbeer.com to learn more about the campaign and join us in our Kickstarter for building this visitor center. Please, let's take the next steps to protect this incredible landscape. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, makers of a better bike rack. Need a great gift for a special cyclist in your life? Visit kuatracks.com to check out their lineup of hitch racks and roof racks, or find a dealer near you. And support for the show also comes from Vossen Brewing, who is on a mission to be one of the most sustainable breweries in the country. Visit vossenbrewing.com to learn more about what they're doing to minimize their environmental footprint. You, our listeners, truly keep the diaries thriving. This is usually the part of the credits where we encourage you to pledge your support to the show, but right now, Bears Ears needs your help more than we do. We already talked about this, so I'll leave it short. But your donation, it's tax-deductible, and we believe wholeheartedly in our importance protecting this incredible landscape. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing your story. We hope you and your family are having a wonderful Thanksgiving. Music today from Kai Engel, published The Quest, Jacob Bain, and Nice Koto. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto also composed our amazing theme song. This episode was edited by Jacob Bain and produced by Jen Altschul and Becker Call. I'm Fitz Call, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.